This is Forbes Under 30 on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Goldblum. On this show, we talk to young innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs. Before we get going, I have two favors to ask of you. First, it would be great if you subscribe to Forbes Under 30 on iTunes. And while you're there, leave a rating and a review. Next, we'd really appreciate it if you took part in a survey that will take no more than five minutes, we promise you. I realize that survey taking can feel very unfun, but your efforts will have the effect of keeping our podcast free to download with minimal ads. So that's uh, a good thing. The survey is short and anonymous. There are two ways to access it. Go to podcastone.com forward slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. I thank you in advance for supporting Forbes Under 30 and taking the time out of your day to complete the quick survey. And now, on with the show. Today, we have Amani al She's the founder and editor-in-chief of muslimgirl.com and author of the memoir, Muslim Girl. Amani, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My first question is, what did it feel like for you when you saw... Muslim girl uh, on a bookshelf. Oh my god! Um, I actually Facebook lived it when I went into Barnes and Noble for the first time to like look for this book, um, and I think the video speaks for itself. My face was just overcome with awe, and I was just staring at it like, no way, you know? Because um, for me, that's a feeling that I'm not really familiar with. Uh, growing up as a Muslim girl, especially after 9/11, I never really saw myself reflected in the bookshelves. Or if I did see those stories, they didn't speak to my lived experience and my relationship with Islam and the way that it has impacted me tremendously growing up. Um, so for this book, I mean, it's on the front cover in neon letters, it says Muslim girl, which is an identity that so many of us have been kind of conditioned to distance ourselves from. And this one says it on a bookshelf in old glory. So it definitely fills me with a lot of pride to have made that happen. Can you remind us of the first time, I think you were on a school bus, but when you distanced yourself, when somebody asked you what religion you were i think you may have said mediterranean mm-hmm. is that right yeah exactly yeah um i was in sixth grade i was on the school bus headed home um after school after a long day and i remember just the kid sitting next to me turned to me and randomly asked me what religion are you uh, and it seems like such a simple question you know that anyone can get but for me it's just the moment that he asked that i i remember just seeing a flashback of everything that was going on in the news all the negative headlines the misrepresentations um all, the entire conversation about the war on terror and terrorism and and how it kind of you know convoluted islam and muslims and implicated us as a whole for that uh and and for me it really just uh, made me terrified of of being judged in that way. So yeah, in, in that in that brief moment, you know, I didn't wear a headscarf when I was that age, so I could easily hide behind uh, something else. And I told him, oh, it was something Mediterranean. It was like the first thing that came to my mind, uh, and and that was a very uh, it was a major turning point for me. What was the turning point in terms of when you decided not to hide, when you said that there's some serious stereotypes that you you would like to dispel? Yeah, I think that. That would have had to have been after my first trip to the Middle East. Uh, I was 13 years old, and I didn't know a lick of Arabic at the time. I had never visited the country before, um, and I went to Jordan. So while I was there, I got really acquainted with the Arab culture, and I actually started learning about what Islam was from people that actually practiced it, you know, from a society that actually lived and breathed it. Um, And it gave me the opportunity to just learn about it, like my culture and my history just separated from all of the ways that it was being twisted in the headlines and by mainstream media. Um, And and furthermore, just to hear people's stories, you know, in their own voices, what their lived experiences are like. Uh, And I think that that really just 
opened my eyes to the power of our stories and in, in eliminating those stereotypes and, and really just transforming the way that we're able to connect with each other. Um, but I just during that trip, you know, I just remember falling in love with my background and where I come from and, you know, just feeling feeling that just that that fear just dissolve away from me. And I told myself that at that point, I wanted to start wearing a headscarf. And I did so because I figured that wearing a headscarf would be my way of defying that Islamophobia that that kind of was trying to force me away from my background and from who I was. Um, and that was my way of like reclaiming that identity and and to show, you know, like even with everything that's going on, even with all the adversity, this is something that I'm proud of. And it's something that I'm not going to shy away from. Sometimes people say like the the greatest ideas are the most straightforward. And the, with the idea that you had to start your blog seems pretty straightforward, but obviously was enormously significant and, and, and powerful for people to rally behind you. Can you tell us about starting Muslim Girl as a blog? Yeah, um, funny enough, I actually started it before it was even a, a, uh, a blog as a community on a blogging platform called LiveJournal.com. <laughs> it's right. very old school. Um, LiveJournal is basically the, predece- the predecessor of Tumblr, uh, and I lived on it. You know, like I was such a social outcast in high school. I couldn't really connect with the people around me so much. I just felt like people were not able to relate to me or um, for me personally, you know, just internally that I was having a lot of difficulty being able to connect with other people, uh, especially as a result of all the bullying that I had experienced in school. Uh, and it was really bad. So it definitely had a, a really negative impact on my self-esteem. And so I just wrote in my live journal every single day. I mostly wanted to find other girls that were like me. I wanted to connect with other Muslim girls um, that had a similar lived experience as me, that were born and raised here. Um, and, you know, that we're dealing with bullying, that we're dealing with all this like horrendous um, development in our in our political climate. And uh, and I think that we were successful in doing that. You know, within the first five days of the community being launched, we got over a thousand members. And I think that's kind of what opened my eyes to, wow, there's there's actually an interest here. Like people actually care about what we have to say. Um, And that's what gave me the idea to start as its own independent blog. Um, And from there, you know, our original community members, they formed the uh, the first audience that we ever had as a a website. Well, you've you've only grown from that time um, in terms of your reach and the platforms that you use. And I want to talk to you about something because your writing is so self-aware. And I want to quote and read from your book one part that really struck me where you talk about being tokenized for your identity as having the look. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, uh-huh. I think a producer said that you said, you have to be some level of attractive, of course. In societal terms, that means a lighter complexion is a major bonus. That privilege has been on my mind a lot this year. If I was a Muslim woman with darker skin, maybe a chocolate color rather than the honey caramel flavor that was acceptable from being not too foreign but just enough, then I doubt I'd be getting as much airtime as I am right now. Maybe not nearly as many people would care about hearing what I have to say. Can you talk about writing that and, and, and what that experience has been like for you in the media? I think that it's been uh, an experience that's hard to ignore with everything else going on around us, you know, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, especially with the way that even the voices of black Muslims have kind of been dissolved from the conversation. Um, It's easy to see that certain people have privileges that other people don't. Um, And when we are starting to become uh, or starting to enter these spaces that we haven't had access to before, I feel like it's inevitable that our, uh, our presence is going to be tokenized. Um, but I see it as one step in the evolution. You know, it's been our prerogative to show that we aren't a homogenous group and that we aren't just, you know, one generalized, uh, you know, entity, but rather that we come from every single country, every single culture on earth. 
Um, and in that way, you know, it's hard to make generalizations like all Muslim women are oppressed or all Muslim women think this way or, or believe that. Um, and, and that really is to us what where our emancipation lies. It's by showcasing that and by elevating those voices that would be marginalized and otherwise not have a fighting chance against the status quo. What's been the response of, of Muslim men to the site? Oh, that's a good question. I think that overall, Muslim men kind of have understood the role that we're playing right now. We certainly get uh, some criticism from more conservative Muslim men in, within our community. For example, you know, we do have very progressive and feminist ideals, right? And we do amplify voices that people aren't necessarily used to hearing from within our community. Like earlier this year, we published a personal essay from a transgender Muslim woman convert. And in her essay, she referred to God with the she pronoun. And that caused like quite a response on our social media. But that's the whole point is that we want to give space to these conversations that aren't being had elsewhere. But from, you know, Muslim men that are among our generation within our age group, I think that we have received overwhelming support. And, you know, this common understanding of the important role that Muslim girl has been evolving to play right now. Um, and, you know, for involving Muslim boys in the future, uh, we actually, we do involve some Muslim male voices on the website. Uh, it really is selective. It's not, you know, just a blanket, no men on the website or anything like that. But if a, an essay or a really great point of view pops up and it just so happens to be written by a man, we still publish it anyway. Our website already kind of speaks to, you know, all genders uh, with, with the issues that it tackles. They aren't really necessarily just important to Muslim girls or Muslim women, but really just impact our community as a whole. And I think that Muslim boys and Muslim men alike, you know, just have a lot of interest in that. Well, I want to talk to you about um, the evolution of your writing and your audience, because I was listening to a podcast with you recently. And uh, as the, at the time of this recording, Donald Trump is about to be the, the praise the president-elect. And I was listening to you on a podcast a couple right. months ago during the debates, and you said, you know, you're, you said that you feared you might be living in an, an, an echo chamber where, you know, you're talking to people who have the same political opinions, and uh, it, I, it feels more, more important and essential right. now than ever that, that people read your blog who aren't just Muslim or who – it's more than just Muslim girls – Right, that that are reading your Absolutely. blog and being informed by your work. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I think that's a testament to just the way that our audience has grown over the past year. Um, you know, traditionally, even just the demographic, uh, our website since its inception has seen a majority of its leader of its readership, between seventy-five to eighty percent of it, be based in the United States. Um, but over the past year, that's expanded, and now half of our audience is international. Um, and, and coming from 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 cities outside of the U.S. and likewise with all of the media attention that we have been receiving and the platforms that we have um, gained these like awesome column, columns in and this representation, um, we do posit that a very significant number of our following are non-Muslims that are seeking you know just a resource for them to learn more about the religion or um, to talk about social issues and the way that they impact our community, especially during times like this. Uh, and and really that's kind of the audience that I had in mind when I wrote Muslim Girl. So uh, when I wrote the book, first and foremost, who I had in mind was the Muslim girl that would, you know, have her eyes brighten up when she sees the, this book on, on the bookshelf. Um, but also my, my hope is that through writing it, I would make accessible the experience of being a Muslim woman living in post 9-11 and, and what that has been like um, and, and really just make it relatable to people that feel otherwise far removed from it, um, especially during a time when all of these polls are coming out saying that a majority of Americans have never even met or known a Muslim person. Um, so I, I really hope that this book could could really be like that that experience and, and could kind of like fill that gap for people. 
And how important is uh, the notion of empathy in the work that you you create and disseminate on the site? Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. You know, I, I always hate to use this phrase um, because it just seems like a no-brainer. But I feel like our goal has been simply to show that we are human, that we are human beings, to humanize us. Um, and, and, you know, that is in order to gain people's empathy and understanding, uh, to for them to understand that we aren't, you know, just this. Um, like subhuman group that is is deserving of all these uh, policies targeting us. You know, that's kind of like the treatment that we have been receiving or the way that even we're, we're spoken about um, in national conversations that are impacting our community. And I think that empathy is the key. You know, when people understand through empathy that hateful rhetoric impact, like that's targeting Muslims or other minorities, um, that that rhetoric doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like it trickles down and it has real life or death consequences for us in our daily lives. Um, and I think that people can only really understand that if they do access that empathy. And and that that's what brings me back to the stories. You know, I really think that stories are the best way for us to increase that empathy, to humanize us and, and make those connections happen. Because really, it's it's the stories that unite us, right? It's it's those human experiences that we all share that really bring us together. Umana, you're really the only person I can ask this to. I mean, you're you're able to take the temperature of your audience. And what is it like right now, heading into 2017? Is it is it a lot of positive feedback on the site? Is there some negative backlash that's come as a result of the political climate? Honestly, it feels like we're all just collectively bracing ourselves for what's to come. Um, and it's uh, a very unsettled feeling, uh, you know, especially because a lot of our concerns have been affirmed by the escalation of hate crimes over the past few weeks since the elections happened um, that have been targeting our community and especially Muslim women and Muslim women that are veiled. Um, and it has been very disheartening. Uh, I will say that it's been very disheartening. Um, but, you know, it's just I, I think that for us as millennials, uh, as millennial, the millennial Muslim generation that has been through a similar climate already, a, a similar experience of heightened Islamophobia, um, that I have confidence that we've, we at least have been through the ringer. So we'll be able to really be that foundation for the younger kids. Um, you know, one thing that I say throughout the book uh, is ominously even that I could not bear to imagine another generation of little girls growing up having endured what having to endure what I have already been through. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that's kind of the future that we're staring at in the face right now. So um, for us, I think that our main uh, priority is just to be there, to create that institution and, and that strong uh, that strong footing for those little girls uh, that they have muslimgirl.com now, that they have girls like us, you know, that they can lean on and they, they can learn from. Um, and I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we feel ready, you know, uh, as much as it is disheartening and as much as it pains us every time a piece of news like this does emerge, uh, I think that we we are really just like preparing ourselves for a lot of work to be done ahead. 
I want to talk to you a little bit about the business of of uh, of your site, because you know when you started, it's again it's a simple idea, and so, like as I say, it just took off, and then you have to grow, and it becomes a business, and you bring on your you know you have employ. How many employees do you have? So right now we have a paid staff of six women, uh, and we have a freelance writing writing network of over eighty girls internationally. Do you find it's been difficult for you when you had so much control, when it was your voice that you were managing, to maintain any kind of authenticity that you had at the beginning when you were working on the pre-Tumblr site versus now? Honestly, no. Uh, if anything, I just I feel like we've become more and more authentic because, you know, the only way that we can really do that is by increasing our inclusion of more voices, more diverse uh, people to really just include in this narrative that we're trying to reclaim and and put out there. And with the way that we are growing and the more voices that we are including, I feel like it's just, it it really just fills me with so much happiness uh, to, to know that we are just amplifying a lot of those raw narratives, those raw experiences. Um, And in that way, I think that the only thing that we can do is really just embolden that authenticity and, and really just keep pushing forward. And then have you had any setbacks in terms of, as a media organization, people sort of taking some of your work from you, not crediting your work? I mean, how have you navigated yourselves through those waters, which are, are really unclear in this time in, in media and journalism? We really have been lucky, with, especially within this industry, to work with partners that have been really supportive of, of empowering our voices and um, helping us and get those voices out there. I think that one thing that we have been navigating is that that factor of tokenization, right? Um, one thing that I've spoken about a lot, especially on the Forbes platform uh, over the past year or two, is this commodification of Muslim women right now. You know, like Muslim women are really hot in the media right now. They're very hot in the market. You know, Muslim women are being included in advertisements and a lot of brands are reaching out to them. But is it necessarily empowering us or exploiting us for a profit? I think that that's something that we've really been focusing a lot of our attention on and how can we use this moment to turn it into a moment of empowerment and, and really just bring it home for our community. And can you tell me specifically, you know, like how how is the business going in terms of revenue stream? So I'm actually really uh, excited to share that we just launched our first uh, actual product on the website. We just had our first product launch uh, and it is introducing the first subscription box service catering to the needs and lifestyles of Muslim women. You know, it's connecting all these amazing brands that we know and love um, with our audience um, and for us as a company of course it's very exciting it's it's a whole new chapter um, you know for me personally like I, I'm a newcomer right like I'm 24 um, I just got on the Forbes under 30 list this year so I'm still like brand new to uh, you know like business and and turning this operation that started in my bedroom into this kind of like media movement that it has uh, it's been taking on you know as a life of its own so um, for me I'm, I'm really excited uh, and it's also just you know, a, a lot of nerves, right? Because it's at the very beginning, we want to see how it goes. Uh, but so far, the reception that we received has been so positive and so supportive. So I'm really excited to see where we go from here. Well, it's unbelievable to think that you're 24 years old and you've accomplished all this. Is it, uh, what's been the most challenging aspect of the business for you? Is it, is it, the con- is it you know, producing the content? That doesn't sound like that, w- that would be it. Or is it managing people? Thank you so much. Um, for me, I think that, it's knowing that I now have a team to take care of, right? You know, like I have these girls that are part of our Muslim girl family that have really been doing this since 
before we were able to start offering, uh, you know, like payment for their services. This is something that started as a labor of love and that Muslim women have really just been putting their, their time and, and their soul into because there's a need for it. Um, and for me now, now that we're growing as a company, those are the only people that I have on my mind, right? It's it's like my team, the people that have been there from the start and how we can really just cultivate this into something that's sustainable and long-term and that can give back to our community. Um, and, and really that's, that's basically what keeps me up at night. Um, and then on a greater scale, I really think that Muslim girl has become, you know, a symbol for a lot of these young Muslim girls that, that are like teenagers or that are children because they're seeing that there is a developing success story. Even in the midst of all this adversity and all this Islamophobia, we have a success story. And it's something that I think everyone is rooting for. Um, and, and I think that our success just speaks to that, that accomplishment that it's possible, that anything is possible and we can do it even with all of the hurdles that are in our way. At this point, is there anybody that you want to uh, point out as being an influence in your life? There's one person that I follow, who the, the great Nagin Farsad, who I suspect you're aware of. Of course. Of the make, how to make white people laugh, host of Fake the Nation. Are, are there people that have, you know, that, that, that you work with and swim with that uh, that you want to mention now that have been inspiring to you? Of course. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> there are so many that it, I always hate just pointing out like one or two people because I feel like it would be so many other people in the dust. But in this case, I think that especially in New York City, one person that has been just like a lot of source of, of confidence for me has been Linda Sarsour, who is a civil rights organizer. Um, and she's with the Arab American network of new york of new york uh based in brooklyn uh and she is more so you know in the the political realm and with the organizing and stuff like that not so much media but i think that just having her leadership to me has been a great inspiration just because for me i grew up without having role models without having muslim women role models that i could really like look up to beyond being immediate family right like beyond my own mother um beyond my relatives you know seeing linda's uh you know like rise and, and her strength and really just fighting for what she believes and especially seeing that right here in New York City, um, I think has been like a huge source of strength for me. And she's kind of been like my go-to person whenever this does get too hard. Uh, you know, like one experience for me that has been very new is being under the spotlight uh, and, and, you know, just having all this attention on what we're doing and, and you know, speaking on behalf of so many people. Um, and I think that she's been a really great person for me to turn to in those, in those difficult moments, you know, to kind of just keep me going and, and to say like, look, there's a there, there's a really great reason why we're doing this, and it's worth it in the end. And and finally, Amani, how, how have you dealt with the attention that's been thrown your way? Oh my God! So literally, just this morning, I was running to my corner bagel shop for breakfast with no makeup on. I had just thrown on like a jacket or something like that, and then like someone on the street recognized me and came up to me to like say hi, and I completely was not expecting that. It was. I don't think that it's something that I take to very easily. You know, I'm a very private person. Um, but it does make me happy to know that, you know, with the increasing visibility means increasing influence and actually being able to affect the change that we want. You know, like just um, just this past week when I was coming back from a trip to the UAE, uh, I was stopped at JFK and uh, a border patrol, you know, told me that they were not going to let me back into the United States unless I took off my headscarf in front of everyone. Uh, and that was a request that I had never been asked before. So I just posted about it on my Facebook status and it immediately got the attention of outlets like CNN, um, you know, people that work in the government and, you know, people even are, you know, reached out to me personally to see like what they can do to help. Um, and I think that, you know, without having 
the platform that we do, something like that would go under under the radar. Uh, and, and I feel like it's our it's our obligation, especially to be able to like, draw attention to these things, given the, the type of audience that we've accumulated now. Where do we go from here? Is it going to be television shows, cartoons, movies, multiple podcasts? You know? <laughs> where, where do we go? Where does it end? You know, the thing is, if you had asked me that question like this past January and be like, oh, so what's this year going to look like for you? I definitely wouldn't. I don't think that I would have answered you like, oh, I think that we're going to have a book out by the end of the year or this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Um, so I really I, I don't even want to limit, you know, where I think that we're going to go from here uh, by by putting a cap on it right now. But um, for me personally, I definitely have a huge interest and a huge passion in production. Um, and I, I love video. I love filmmaking. And I think that that's something that is really just drawing my eye. And I think that Muslim Girl could really just contribute a lot to. Well, Amani, thank you for, for talking with us. I really appreciate you having me. And, you know, we could go on forever, honestly. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under 30. That's the number 30 at podcastone.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.